This is The Real Estate Show with Kevin Turner on Brisbane's 4BC. Morning and welcome to the show. Nice to be back with you Saturday morning as we talk real estate. Well, this was the week of the budget. The budget came down this week and uh, there's been a lot of talk about its impact uh, on, on what's happened. One of the most interesting budgets, I think, if you can be interested in watching a budget, because of the impact that COVID's had. But I was particularly interested, as you'd imagine, on what its impact, likely impact, is going to be on the property market. Joining me to talk about that and swap around a few ideas, Eliza Owen from CoreLogic. G'day, Eliza, how are you doing? Well, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. So were you glued to the television? Did you watch it or did you read the summary the next morning? Oh, absolutely. I watch the budget every year. It's like uh, an economist Christmas. So <laughs> it's always one to keep across and understand what how it's going to shape the economy and, of yep. course, shape the housing market. Okay. So what did you learn? What were the takeaways for you? Let's relate that to property. So, I mean, the three major housing-related measures that were highlighted in Frydenberg's address was the extension of the first home loan deposit scheme uh, with an additional 10,000 places being added to the scheme, but only for new construction or um, newly built property purchases. Uh, as well as that, we've seen some measures of additional low-cost financing for affordable housing through the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation, uh, and also some additional funding for the Indigenous Home Ownership Program. And then there were a couple of other smaller measures, including um, uh, proposed capital gains exemptions for granny flats for eligible persons from July next year, uh, and also the continuation of funding for state-based social housing services. Yeah, um, a lot of it to do with the need for affordable housing. Interesting, uh, you mentioned there about the capital gains exemption for granny flats. That one particularly caught my attention. I've, I've, I didn't see that coming, and I don't know if you did, but I think it's certainly a great move um, because we do need to get more density into some of um, our inner residential areas. Certainly going to do that, I would have thought, Eliza. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the policy is sort of targeted at helping build transparency around living arrangements. Um, the budget papers detailed this idea that sometimes um, granny flats aren't always stated because people are worried about the added tax that they would incur. And this can sometimes lead to um, some strange uh, familial relationships and people being taken advantage of in that sense. So. Um, people being able to declare the granny flats, I think, is about bringing more transparency. And from what the Treasury has forecast, it would sort of have a negligible um, impact on overall uh, economic performance as well. Eliza, what's your view on, on the age group or the demographic that this budget was targeted at? Do, do you think it was more at the, uh, the, the, uh, the younger demographic as opposed to an older demographic and bringing them back in? I mean, there's been a lot of work done to keep young people employed and keep them in jobs as well. Is this a real push to get them into home ownership? Well, the the, the big highlight of the budget was the job maker hiring credit and the job trainer fund. So those initiatives are about helping to reabsorb young people into the labour force. I get that from the perspective that if we look at the nature of unemployment through COVID-19, it's been in sectors like hospitality, tourism and the arts where people are more likely to be young. And indeed, about 40% of the people who've lost their jobs 
since the onset of COVID-19 are aged 24 uh, and, and younger. So I understand where that comes from. In terms of the impact on the housing market, uh, it's probably going to have more an impact on the rental market because people who've lost their jobs and been more vulnerable uh, are also more likely to rent. Um, in terms of home ownership, it'll be interesting to see how many first-home buyers are keen to take up the first-home loan deposit scheme for new bills. We know historically when there have been incentives for demand-side um, fiscal stimulus in housing, the preference has been for established homes. But this time around, you can only have that additional option for the, for the new bill. So um, it'll be interesting to see if the uptake is as quick as those who were getting places in the first home loan deposit scheme who had the flexibility to buy mm. either established or new. Another highlight for me during the week was the release of the CoreLogic Pain and Gain Report, which is always fabulous reading. Um, I thought we might spend a moment or two having a look at that. The June quarter, um, 52,000 Australian properties were resold. Now, that was down 20,000, which probably really wasn't a surprise because of COVID. Um, and um, uh, one wonders just how much of that was due to COVID. But I, I, if I'm reading it correctly, despite a decline in sales numbers, um, the the number of people selling at a loss was down as down as well, which did somewhat surprise yeah. me, Eliza. Mm, yeah. So basically, this report kind of reflects the trend that we've seen in property through the COVID uh, period, which is that it's not property prices that have been that impacted, it's transaction activity. So COVID really saw sellers unwilling to list, thinking that they might not get as good a price as they did pre-pandemic. And of course, that was aided by mortgage repayment deferrals. People who uh, didn't want to sell didn't necessarily have to sell because they don't have to face up to their debts just yet. And that's something we think has preserved a lot of stability in the housing market, particularly the portion of loss-making sales. So when it came to analysing resales for the June quarter, we saw that because the volume of transaction of that activity had dropped so much, the volume of loss-making sales also dropped. Mind you, as a proportion of sales, the rate of loss-making sales did increase but only by 50 basis points over the quarter. So mm. the portion of properties that made a loss were 12.8% nationally. Yeah, I guess the two major markets, Sydney and Melbourne, Melbourne in particular, uh, a bit of a cot case right now, you know, where things have almost ground to a halt, though they certainly did. But I, I noticed that the ACT actually saw the biggest quarterly increase in the state of loss, uh, you know, in, in the rate of loss-making sales. Which, when you look on the back of how much success there's been there in auctions right through COVID, mm -hmm. I, that that I've got to say did surprise me, Eliza. It surprised me too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think what what we're looking at is just this really different story between houses and units. So if we look at the ACT dwelling market overall, it's increased in value since the onset of COVID. Um, the portion of loss-making sales in ACT houses is very, very small. But if we look at the portion of units sold at a loss, that rose in the June quarter to over a, a quarter of sales. So about 26% of units sold at a loss across the ACT in the June quarter, and that was up from 21% um, in the three months to March. So of the loss-making sales that occurred, units comprised about 80% of them, 
And it just speaks to the, the different performance between those two assets. And that really comes back to the fact that um, houses have been in high demand, particularly from owner-occupiers, young families who have access to cheap credit and, and good jobs. Whereas in the unit segment, it's the investors and uh, just very high levels of supply that have kept activity um, being relatively poor performance. I'll ask about distressed sales in a moment. Before I do, how did Queensland fare in this report? Yeah, so um, what we saw across the Brisbane market, first of all, was um, sort of the highest rate of loss-making sales on the eastern seaboard. So the portion of loss-making sales across the Brisbane market was up to 14.3%, um, and that was up from 13.1% in the previous quarter. Um, but of course, again, it is a pretty varied story depending on what area of the market you're looking at. Um, so we saw across the council regions of Brisbane, for example, um, that there was a relatively high level of loss-making sales in that Brisbane LGA and again, it kind of reflects the, um, again, just that kind of high-density unit segment, I guess, which, is, which has been struggling for a while. Um, the highest level of profitability we saw was in the Moreton Bay um, Council region. So 9.3% of properties sold at a loss, so over 90% of, of properties um, selling for a profit. And the median profit there was um, about 130000 Mm. Distressed stock. Are we seeing many distressed sales? Are you tracking those at all? So, I mean, in this report, it, it can be difficult to understand who's motivated by mm. what in, yep. in their sales. Yep. One way that we do track um, the incidence of a, a distressed sale is by looking at metadata around CoreLogic valuation platforms. So when people are ordering valuations for um, different types of lending, it could be for construction, it could be for purchase. One of the categories that we track and look for is mortgagee in possession, which would suggest a, a distressed sale or someone not being able to uh, pay their mortgage. And when we count uh, the valuations for that purpose, we're not seeing a significant increase. So if anything, they're, they're down from where they were this time last year. So mm. I think that sort of, speaks to the fact that as of yet, we're not seeing uh, an increased incidence of distressed sale. And if we do, it's more likely to come around March next year when yep. mortgage repayment deferrals winds down. Yeah. So watch this space. Um, just quickly before we close, the weekend ahead, um, auction activity almost double from last week nationally, but then that was on the back of a long weekend. Most states having a long weekend last weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last week we saw that the final clearance rate finished up at 64.4%, um, which is two basis points on what we saw in the week prior. Um, this week coming up, as you say, we've got uh, a relatively high value, uh, sorry, high volume of auctions uh, taking place. Most of those in the Sydney market with Melbourne still seeing subdued activity um, as they're still sort of working their way out of strict restrictions. Mm. And Brisbane this weekend, 106 auctions. That's pretty good. I think second highest amongst the uh, um, the the, uh, the Cap City markets. Yes. So um, it is a good level of volumes that we're seeing, and that's off the back of just 60 auctions um, last week and 84 auctions in the week before. 
Um, so this will be um, sort of the highest level of auctions that we've seen across Brisbane since the end of August. Good news. Go Brisbane. Hey, Eliza, thank you very much for your time. Great talking to you. Eliza Owen is from CoreLogic. Uh, thanks, Eliza. We'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me. Stay with us. Lots more to come. This is 4BC. We're talking real estate. Buying or selling. All you need to know is right here on The Real Estate Show on 4BC. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper uh, shortly. Have a look at the inner city market. Some stories out this morning that uh, you should be looking at inner city. You'd have to be confused about that because of the amount of oversupply of units in particular and the terrible stories that I'm hearing. So I'm going to compare inner city with the suburbs and have a look at regional markets as well. We've spoken about that on a number of occasions. Also later in the show, um, a change to the lending laws. I'm going to talk to a very successful investor who's also involved in finance uh, because during the week the Abyss Shrapnel Oxford QBE three-year outlook on property was released. We'll have a look at that as to what that's telling us, particularly in this time of COVID as we look ahead for the next three years and we'll drill right down into the Brisbane market. All that and lots more to come. It's 20 past eight.